This is Shane Gibson's podcast from closingbigger.net. Today, I want to talk about rewiring our sales mindset for success. I've been spending a lot of time working with sales organizations a little deeper than maybe I have in previous years, in the last couple of years. So in the past, I would work with sales management and do training, but out of necessity and also you know, out of the real desire to drive things further, I've been on the front line with some of the sales leaders working with their team members, even doing some one-on-one sort of forensic fact-finding uh, in the form of sales coaching um, and even doing some ride-alongs with sales team members, seeing what's happening with them. And one of the reasons why is I've been really trying to identify what is the differentiator between the top performers in these sales organizations and the ones that are average or who just aren't really hitting the numbers they need to be successful in their sales role or sales in general, you know? And so I'm going, what's the difference between them? And we look at, it's not education. It's not lack of sales process. They have access to the same playbooks and the same CRM, same mentors, same sales trainer, same coach. Uh, They've got a very similar target market, same product offerings, and yet to a large degree have a very different result or an inconsistent result. And as I dig further, it's not that they're not walking through the steps. They're doing the same steps in many cases, but they're doing it with the wrong mindset or maybe what I would say a less than optimal mindset. So what I want to talk about is I've got, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten different types of mindsets I've seen that hold people back. So I'm going to go through these ten types of mindsets, mental mindsets that hold us back. And I'm going to talk a little bit about a more positive sales mindset you can replace each of these with that can help you move forward in your sales career and experience success. So this is about an internal reflection. It's about the one thing we can control, which is us, our emotions, and our activities that can impact our sales results. We can't control what the market does or what product development does, but all of these salespeople often have the same challenges Yet some get intensely good results and others get mediocre results or worse, abysmal results, not putting a number on the board. So from this perspective, I want to kind of walk through them. So the first mindset is the reactive mindset. And this one kind of is an overarching one for this podcast is the reactive mindset. This is the person who second guesses themselves. They tend to react to a lack of success in the short term. And they drag down their energy and their outlook to the point where it's worse for their sales success, their attitude is, than the actual missing a deal that week or not having prospects show up or being ghosted by a bunch of people in a row. There's all these things that go wrong with our sales process. And the reactive person, the reactive mindset, will immediately not go, oh, this occurred externally. The prospect ghosted me right? Oh, the contract didn't get signed. Oh, marketing gave me some really not so great leads this week. Versus looking at that, they start to think there's something wrong with me. They start to react and internalize it. And then what they do is they take a really good sales process they've been following that's helped them for many years or months succeed, and they start to question it. Well, maybe maybe I don't need to do a discovery call before I do a demo. Uh, Maybe I don't need to get committed on the next step. Uh, You know what, possibly I'm going to stop using these email templates that have been working for me and I've been customizing and I'm going to try some new ones. And so what this person starts to do is they start to totally sideline a proven sales process because they have temporary doubts. So how we need to get around this is move from being reactive 
to pragmatic and really big picture. And understanding from this perspective that we have ebbs and flows in our sales process and our sales success, and that maybe statistically out of 100 leads that we're supposed to book at a, you know 60 appointments and convert 50% of those to, let's say, a product, a proper product discovery call. And when we see the numbers dip a bit, because over 10 calls, we get zero, we don't start going, well, you know what, there must be something wrong with me. The pragmatic mindset will go, the numbers work out in the end. So I might get 10 you know, no-shows, but the next 10 or the 10 after that are going to make up for it, because statistically, they do. So having a really pragmatic mindset versus reactive is key and also to resist the impulse to tear apart your sales process every time you have a dip because tear apart you're tearing apart your sales process when you're not feeling great about your sales results almost always will get you worse results which will drive your emotions lower and will keep you in a very highly reactive state so the key thing that i would look at is if you're using a proven sales process don't be dogmatic about it but be pragmatic and stick to the process in spite of your temporary lack of results. And that's going to help fortify you emotionally because you'll get back on track sooner. The next mindset is the passive mindset. And how this manifests is through passive communications. And this is someone who maybe feels subservient or below their prospect or that they're bothering someone or they don't like to be salesy, or whatever it might be, but in their mind, they, don't, they haven't truly thought about the value they're bringing to the table, and so they're passive in their communications. So they'll say things like, maybe they've done a presentation with somebody, they're following up, and they'll say something like, reaching out to see if you're still interested in our solution, right? That's what I would call a passive piece of language, versus, hey, reaching out to touch base, uh, Love to set a time, say Monday at this time or Tuesday at this time to connect with you and carry on our discussion. The second one is more of a proactive or a positively assumptive language. The first one's a negative one. Are you still interested? This A, allows them an exit, but also says you're not that confident that, you know, it's even worth their while. So those little hints in our language really talk about our lack of confidence in our ability to deliver. So from this perspective, we need to shift from that passive language. Another type of passive language is wondering if you'd still like to connect, for instance. Or uh, the other one is I'm sending an email saying, hi, I hope I'm not interrupting your day. Or hi, I know you're busy and I'm hoping that you can eke out 15 minutes for little old me. And I know they don't say little old me, but that's basically what it sounds like. Versus, hey, we talked about the solution and about what we can do for you here, here, and here. Um, I'd love to set a time this date or this date to get together, it'll take about an hour. And so from this perspective, that type of language, that positioning is really different than I'm wondering if you're still interested, right? Or if you'd be open to having a quick meeting with me. And so from this perspective, the real driver is having a proactive leadership-oriented mentality, right? And that comes back to knowing the true value you're bringing to the table. Because if you don't What's going to happen is it's going to manifest with passive, non-leadership-oriented language, which a prospect can smell a mile away, and they'll avoid us. The other one is the opposite. It's the over-optimistic mindset. This one is where maybe we know that of 100 people that we meet with, that we truly have a first meeting with that we think are qualified, only, let's say, 25%, a quarter of them will eventually end up being a client. 
So what that means is that in order to hit our sales goals, our sales funnel has to be four times the size of our quota. So from this perspective, the overly optimistic person will ask them, hey, how are things going with your sales pipeline? Are you going to hit quota this year? And say, yeah, maybe it's already 12 months out, but their pipeline is loaded up because their sales cycle is 12 months long, let's say on average. They say, yeah, no problem. I've got 1.2 million in the pipeline and they're all closing for sure. So this person being highly optimistic, overly optimistic, is setting themselves up for failure. A more grounded outlook would realize that if we're only converting about 25% average historically, even though everybody looks good, smells good, and says the right things, I need a pipeline four times the size I have right now to hit my number by the end of the year. So to hit that million, that, that million dollar mark in my quota, I would need four million in my pipeline to get there for sure. And so part of this is having, versus being overly optimistic, is just having a grounded mindset. Doesn't mean getting negative about our numbers, but pragmatically moving forward and making sure that we're actually doing the activities that are going to get us enough dollars in the pipeline so we overall convert properly. And that over-optimism comes out in different ways. It can also manifest where you have a great conversation, and instead of saying something simple like, fantastic, I'm going to fire you through a proposal, um, when would you like to set a time to review this? I've got some time available on this day or this day. Uh, will that be enough time to review the proposal before we get back together? Now, why I say that is an overly optimistic salesperson will just say, hey, great, fantastic, I'll send you a proposal, and they won't set the next step. Why? Because that prospect's always going to get back to them. They're always going to be excited. They're never going to get busy or deprioritize us because we're overly optimistic about it. And so it is, you know, I'm positive about people, but I also know how busy people get and how priorities can be taken over. And so I'm not overly optimistic about their willingness to actually connect with me in a week from now. So while having them in front of me and while we're excited, I'm going to set that next step. So this is a really important piece is don't be overly optimistic about your process. Keep it tight and don't be overly optimistic about your pipeline. Stay grounded in the true metrics of your business. The other one is the bargaining mindset. The bargainer is one that might have a $100,000 a month quota. They're on the 15th of the month. They've only got $25,000 committed that they feel is going to close. So they start to bargain. Instead of strategize, they bargain. They bargain with themselves. They justify why the numbers aren't there and why it won't work and why this month is slow and that's okay. And they take their foot off the gas and then they go bargain with their sales manager. They talk about the pipeline and what's happening and things will happen next month. Don't worry about it. And I've got to change this and this. I need more help from marketing versus truly not bargaining and saying, great, I'm a quarter of the way to my goal halfway through the month. What's my strategy to make up for that over the next month? not bargaining with the price of success. Actually look at the activity required and what I need to do to catch up and the help I'm gonna need, but don't bargain with ourselves and don't bargain with our boss to bring our quota down for that month. The committed mindset, which is kind of the opposite of this, is one that really moves forward, as I said before in other podcasts, to 1159.59 on the 30th of the month is when we finally bargain because we're done. We say, okay, I'm finished. I put my head on the pillow at night I, on that 30th, of the month, I did my best job I could, and I'll reset for next month and the lessons I've learned. But you know that you didn't bargain or slow down or try to renegotiate the price of success. You kept driving with the key activities needed to get there, regardless of what the numbers are that day. Then there's a defensive mindset. So I remember coaching someone a few years back, 
and it kind of jumps out is I started to coach them and just ask them about their process and trying to help them figure out what's falling down in their sales process and how we can help them refine it. And all of a sudden, you know, as I asked them, so tell me about what you do at this point. And, and, and then they said, well, I do this. And I said, well, curious, you know, what kind of outcome are you looking for with this particular step? And then they got really, I feel like I'm being interrogated in. And I'm, is this some type of performance management thing you're doing? And, and should I be polishing my resume? <laughs> and these are the things they started to say. And I said, no, no, not at all. I'm, I'm really trying to help you get better results and figure out what we can do to help support you move forward. But they were suspicious and they also felt very vulnerable that there might be any issues with their process, right? It was all about what, what wasn't happening around them. So that defensive mindset is going to put us in a position where we're not going to learn new things. We're also going to create a barrier between us and other people, whether it's our coworkers, our coach, our manager, or our clients. So instead of being defensive, move to curious. Have that curious mindset about the question, about where they're going with it. Be curious or open to the fact that there might be another way of looking at things and there's something to learn. And so from this curiosity perspective versus being defensive from a sales process perspective about what we're doing, be curious about how we can improve it in other people's perspectives. And the same thing goes when we're interacting with clients is versus being defensive about our solution or how it's performing or what we've prescribed is be curious about the fact that there might be another way of looking at things, a bigger, better way, a different approach that could help the client even more. Then there's the next step, which is, you know, interesting connection to this is also the, the win-lose mindset. This one is the belief that in order for me to win, the rest of the sales team has to lose. <laughs> in order for me to win, when I cut this deal, I've got to get my pound of flesh to this client. I can't give them everything they ask because they always want more. And this is a real win-lose mindset. A, this, this is someone who says, hey, I've, and I've seen this in organizations where a salesperson is doing something different or is more efficient than the rest of the team. And I start to dig deep and I realize they're not fully sharing because they don't want the rest of the team to know what they're doing because then it would be more difficult for them to be a top performer within the team. They'd lose their edge because they need to win for the team, they need to win and the team needs to lose for them to get ahead. When in reality, what I've seen is the top performers that share best practices where there's more momentum than the team and the whole team does better, almost always the whole SEALs team gets more resources, they get more marketing dollars, they get more help, and it works out better in the end for the whole organization when we really monetize and distribute best practices. That's kind of another sidebar I could talk about in a sales management podcast. But the difference between a win-lose mindset is a contribution mindset. So versus thinking of what I can get out of the client and what can I avoid giving them, how can I create the ultimate solution that impacts their business or their life the most? And then, of course, if I really fashion one of those and understand my client intensely around their needs and their desires and their goals and their values, then almost always it's not difficult to sell the value and the financial end of it. But if we start with win-lose it almost always gets to positional bargaining, which is not value-added, and we'll never see the full potential in the business or the relationship. Another common mindset that can impact us is the enabled mindset. This is someone who feels out of habit or insecurity, personality style, you name it, maybe a previous boss made their life difficult, is they, they feel like they need to plug into someone else for um, validation, for process, for success, for taking action. So I remember 
I was talking to a sales leader and I said, what could I do for this person here? And it was one of their top performers that I, you know, they were doing well. I said, what could I do to help this guy succeed even more? What kind of support do you think he needs? And he goes, how about get him not, get him to not walk down the hall and stand in my doorway every time he has to make a minor decision or a, you know, take a leap and take a major action and ask me if he should do it. He said, that was the big one. He said, because number one, sometimes I'm not around for a couple of days because I'm on the road with the rest of the sales team and he'll wait before he'll take action on a key account that he could have closed if he just had enough faith in his own abilities. And so the enabled mindset tends to be a person who checks in for affirmation on a consistent basis from their boss, uh, from coworkers and people outside of themselves. So the opposite of that, opposite of that is the self-equipping mindset. This is the individual who, you know, truly is willing to look for, this is another version actually, I'll talk about this as well, but willing to look for the information, insights, and direction for themselves, is willing to experiment and learn on their own and take reasonable levels of risk with clients and activities and trust their experience and their knowledge in the industry. So that self-equipping mindset as well, you know, instead of going to saying, oh, I need to new, learn this new thing about this product and my coworker really understands it well, I'll ask them to help me, sure, but instead, maybe ask them how that they equip themselves instead of asking them what they know. Where do you get that information? How do you learn about new products? What type of resources do you access so that you become a self-equipping versus an individual who needs to be enabled by those around you? If you're able to do this, this self-equipping mindset is gonna enable you to accelerate your learning, but also take action faster on a regular basis and get to your results sooner. Sure, you're gonna make some mistakes, yes, but that's all part of the equipping and learning process. In sales, you're not actually paid to not make mistakes. In fact, if you're not making mistakes and you're not getting no, you're probably not doing enough. And so built in the career to itself, is this process of making mistakes and self-developing. Then there's the group thinker mindset. And this one tends to be impacted by the mood of the team overall. Uh, they tend to you know, spend time around the water cooler hearing what's happening. They'll marinate over negative customers they've had. And they tend to get in this group mindset with the team. And this impacts their sales performance to a large degree because they're driven by the mood of the team, which is driven by the mood of the marketplace. And it's really not healthy for their sales process. I recently think about a, a client where the productivity of their sales team actually went up when one of their kind of mid to high performers left. And this was interesting because I kind of knew this was going on, but I couldn't really put a finger on it. I had one particular person who previously performed well, but when moved to this particular branch, their performance started to drop. And what I discovered is there was another individual who's performing pretty well. And I noticed this on the coaching sessions. They tend to complain a lot. They brought a lot of challenges to the table, a lot of insecurities, but they actually produced relatively well. But there was just this constant negative dialogue. So what this person was doing is they were getting together at lunch with this other salesperson and the one that had that constant negative dialogue would complain and dump and talk about what's wrong and then they would go back and close their door and go make sales. But the other person who was, you know, a high empath and maybe a little bit more emotionally influenced, they would go back and feel rotten for the day and not produce. And when their coworker left and they no longer had to sit with them at lunch or talk to them, their sales naturally went up. Their attitude was better. What was interesting is that they actually brought it up to me. They said, you know, I think the big difference is I don't have this negative 
feedback on a consistent basis. Love the person, but they had negative things to say on a regular basis. So I think this is important is that moving outside of group thinking and into self-driven mindset. And this is about having a real strong regiment of self-care, um, mindfulness and mindset habits and rituals, and surrounding ourselves with positive people, positive information and positive education that really keeps us even keel. And if there is some negativity in around the workplace, insulate ourselves through focusing on what we need to do from a daily task, from our role as a sales professional, but also maybe choosing not to hang out at the water cooler and listen to the complaining. Second to last is the, this is my favorite, this comes up so often, is the I know this mindset. I know this mindset, I already know this. I know how to close, I know how to sell. I don't need to learn more. I know about the products, I know about the organization. I know what to do, I know what's best. I rarely actually hear this from a top performer. This is interesting, is that I'll have companies hire me to come in and train their sales teams. And they'll always worry, they'll warn me about Bob and Rebecca. Bob and Rebecca tend to be the, the driven, a little bit hard to manage senior salesperson who's been around there for 10 or 15 years. They're producing significantly more than the rest of the team. And the head of human resources or the vice president of sales will say, watch out for those two. I'm going to guess they're going to be difficult during sales training. <laughs> That's what they'll say. Uh, and I'll, I don't even know if they'll show up. But then when I meet Bob or Rebecca, they're the first ones there that day. They're often in the front row uh, of the sales training. And uh, I'll ask, you know, and I'll build some rapport with them, knowing they're senior salespeople and show them some respect and, and, and connect with them because they've done great things in the organization. And, and almost always when I ask this question, I get a very similar answer. And it goes something like this. I'll say, what do you, you've been doing this for a while and you've had a lot of success. You could probably be up here yourself telling the team how to do it. And I said, I'm curious, you know, what you're looking to get out of today. And they'll say, well, I've been to a lot of sales training over the years. And I've read a lot of books on selling and I've worked, worked a lot of good sales leaders. And really, if I can just get one more thing today that makes me a little bit better, I'll be happy. That's what I'm looking for. It's just a bit of a refresher and one thing to make me better. And that's almost always the attitude of the high performer. But mid-pack, those are usually the ones that's challenging me or the ones that are struggling in an organization are the ones that already know this. They'll sit through the training, they'll be on their phone, they won't be quite, quite focused, and they'll be like, yep, got it, I heard this before, I heard this before, I heard this before. And what's interesting is, you know, this Chinese proverb that I heard many years ago, which I, I really like and and I have to remind myself on this on a regular basis that it says, to know and not to do is not to know. So it's not just about knowing it, but it's about putting it into play. And I think it's also about being open to knowing, to learning the details and the small distinctions in process and excellence that help us get better on a daily basis, like Bob and Rebecca. And so from this perspective, we want to move from this, I know this mindset to the learner's mindset is what if there's something new here? What if I could get one more thing out of this? What if, you know, there's a slight shift in the way I do things to get a little bit better and there's always more to know. And I think that's the really key piece around developing performance excellence. And lastly, of course, is the obstacle finder versus the outcome focused sales professional. So the obstacle finder, when they sit down with their manager or they have a coaching session or a team meeting or you name it, is they'll tell you what's wrong. They'll tell you why things aren't working and what the challenges are. And they've got a long list of everything that needs to be improved. And they focus on that. This is what's holding me back. The 
outcome-focused person, they might have a similar list, but when they come to the meeting, they have a list of solutions that possibly could work. Maybe they won't be accepted, but they come to the table willing to work and focus on creating outcomes versus just discovering problems. And that outlook also really helps them when they're selling because that's something you need to do to help your clients is help them move beyond the problems they're focused with and start fashioning a future state or outcome that's going to make them productive, which also happens to be aligned with the solution you're selling. So if you're only an obstacle finder, it's really hard to sell if you've got that mindset where you actually need to be an outcome-focused mindset, a future-focused solution creator that helps your clients. So this kind of wraps up the mindset list I went through. But here's what I'm going to kind of walk through these key attributes we want as a sales professional. We need to have a pragmatic mindset, a proactive mindset. We need to be grounded, committed, curious, contribution-focused, self-equipping, self-driven, a lifelong learner, and outcome and solution-focused if we want to win in the world of selling. This is Shane Gibson's podcast from ClosingBigger.net.